Welcome to the Servant's Heart Chapel podcast with Pastor Daryl Underwood. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by this week's sermon. Now here's Pastor Daryl. Have you ever thought of what your tombstone might say? If I had to decide now, I was thinking about it this morning. It had to be one simple line with a verse. Um, in my junior uh, high school, 7th, 8th grade, some between those two uh, grades, I was required to memorize The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. And the last lines of that poem have all struck me, struck a chord in me as, as a young boy. Uh, getting ready to go into you know high school and puberty and growing up and becoming an adult, and that was uh, two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That is what I would want on my tombstone. Because I feel like it, it resonates with how my life went. And of course the road uh, that less taken that, that I took at 17 years old was Christ. His road. His path. 17, I, I sat in my room and I thought there's no hope. I might as well just end it now. I felt God's presence in my room, and I felt like God was asking me, are you willing to try it my way now? And I said, yes. And so I walked God's way. And, and to look at the two roads diverged, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and all my friends in high school took continued on the broad path, continued on the the common way. And to see how our lives have diverged almost 30 years later, it's astounding. You see, in high school, I grew up in Phoenix. In high school, all my friends were either gang members or stoners. And so so now, you're looking at my peers you probably would not, if we were standing together, you probably wouldn't even guess that we were the same age. Because drugs and a hard life have taken their toll on them. Many of them have spent time in prison. And so they look much older. They talk and act much older. They can hardly get around. Some of them are just broken. Their body is broken. Jesus Christ changed my life. And it was so significant and so mind-blowing that I have always ever since felt this compulsion to share what we call the gospel of Christ. But the gospel, the, the reality that I was lost and Jesus found me and saved me, rescued me from sin, Deliver me from the chains of sin, chains of addiction. The gospel. 
I felt this compulsion to do that. And here in Luke 10, Jesus is getting ready to send out a group of men to, to share a message. In verse 1, we see, after this, the Lord appointed the 70 others, and He sent them ahead of Him and in pairs. He sent them away, and we're going to find out later on. He sent them away. He sent them away to be ambassadors for Him. To represent Him. And notice that He sent them in pairs. Jesus did that with the apostle, the apostles. So His twelve, He sent them out in pairs, and in the seventy He sent out in pairs. There's a value in that. I in, in, in this case, we certainly can see that send them out in pairs helps protect them, first off, from physical harm. They're going to be on the road. There's going to be robbers and highwaymen out there. That's going to protect them from spiritual dangers, protect them from temptation. I don't, I don't go into a house alone with a, a woman who's not my wife. I won't meet. Whenever, whenever uh, we have uh, a woman who wants to meet with me for counseling, I make sure Missy's available too so she can join us. And that has protected me. We've come across at least one young woman who had nefarious intentions. And that and her plans were ruined because Missy was there. Be, that we, what we can get from this, what we, in this in this application of pairs, is knowing that we need each other. There is a value we can't we can't uh, walk this Christian life alone. We need. Uh, brothers and sisters lifting us up, helping us. We see that uh, we need each other for encouragement. If you turn back to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, two are better than one because they have a good Reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Sometimes we can fall physically, yes, and, and lift them up. But we, we can fall spiritually. We can fall emotionally. We become discouraged. And we lift each other up. You can do it. I'm praying for you. I can help you. We lift each other up financially, don't we? Sometimes we're a little short on gas money or, or uh, whatever it may be, and we help each other out. 
We need each other because doing so helps confirm our witness. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, In verse 5, it says, If he goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings the axe to chop down a tree, but the blade flies off the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, that person may flee to one of these cities and live. If you have a witness there, you can say, yeah, it was an accident. That confirms your witness. If you have somebody there with you proclaiming the message of the gospel, it's not just you. It's somebody else saying, yes, what he says is true. I tell you, I would love the witness of some of the people that I hung out with 30 years ago Who would say, yeah, this guy was a jerk. He was miserable. He was hateful. He was dishonest. He was a liar. Yep. Another thing that, that uh, we need each other for is Improvement. Proverbs 27 verse 17 talks about us uh, sharpening each other like iron. Rubbing iron together, you can, you can sharpen it against itself. And that's what we, we make each other better. We challenge each other. We, we encourage one another. And if there's any sin in our heart... Be sure that we're going to bring it out. If there's any carnality. So he sent him ahead in pairs every town and place where he himself was about to go. And then he tells them, verse 2, the harvest... The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. What is he talking about? He's talking about lost souls. People in, in need of the truth. They, 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 they're, there's, there's people out there who are, are thinking themselves, there has to be a better way. And, and, but the workers, the laborers, they're, they're, there's not enough of them. We have uh, a shortage in labor. We have in our churches, in, in, in our connection, in Bio-Methodist Connection, we have about a half dozen churches without pastors. We have people who, who were missing uh, body. You know, we could use workers. We could use uh, Sunday school teachers. We could use uh, someone who wrote to run some kind of children's bus ministry. Uh, there's, there's lots of opportunity. There's um, 
the, the young people now are just not interested as interested. I don't know if they're being distracted by the things of this world or not. I do know this. When I was going through Bible college there at the GB God's Bible School, there was about a hundred, I think at least a hundred uh, young men who were interested in going into the ministry. And right now there's around 30 or so, between 20 and 30. Just a very small fraction of what there used to be. And a lot of the young people are, are, are think of ministry as a job. What am I going to get paid? What are the benefits? I need, I need a certain amount of pay. That's not what it's about at all. They, they, it never clicked. In the, you focus on what God wants you to do first, and he'll take care of you. He always has me. We have, a, we have a shortage of labor right now in our country. In the U.S., we have a shortage of labor, just as they did uh, 2,000 years ago there in Judea. And what did he tell them? Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into this harvest. Pray. We're supposed to pray first. Notice we, we need to start everything. Any endeavor to, to reach the lost should be begun with prayer. And that word pray uh, uh, in Greek uh, it indicates uh, a strong, determined prayer of a begging, really. We need to beg God, please help us. We need people. Then Jesus tells them, verse 3, now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Someone uh, once wrote that we should look at Scripture and consider the five P's of Scripture. He wrote, uh, when you look at Scripture, Pause to ponder the passage. Then practice it in the power of the Spirit. That's a good, that's a good way to look at Scripture. Pause. Instead of just glossing over it and just getting through it, do your, um, your chapters for the day and just forget about it. Take a, take a breath. Just stop to ponder it. What does it mean to me? How does it affect my life? How does it change my perceptions, my attitudes, my behavior. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this case, Jesus said, now go. And you have to ask yourself, are we ready? First off, are, are, are we ready to go? If God asks us to go, if God asks you to go, are, are you ready to go? No matter how inconvenient, no matter how scary it might be. And if, you know, and, and we all are expected to go out and be ambassadors for Him. And by the way, you are an ambassador for Christ. If you're a Christ follower, you're always an ambassador. People are watching. 
People are watching how you behave, how you act. They're watching the music you listen to, the shows you watch. They're watching, they're paying attention. When was the last time you shared the gospel with anybody? When was the last time you invited someone to church? The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. And then Jesus said, now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. There's a danger here. This is the reality of the Christian experience. The Bible says as Christians, we will face, face a few different things. The uh, first, first thing we face is hostility. If we look at John Chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute, persecute you. This is Jesus talking. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So we're going to face hostility. People are going to not like us and, and treat us badly simply because we're Christ followers. We're going to also face danger. If you look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. There's danger out there. There's danger to be tricked, to be fooled, to believe in false gospels, false truths. We see it everywhere. Right now, there's a popular thing, this, this uh, uh, gospel idea that, that um, you know, God wants you to be rich. And if you have enough faith, you can be rich. That's not true. God doesn't care about whether we're rich or not. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be ready for heaven. Notice that Jesus said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. You know, a sheep can't protect itself. Can't protect itself against wolves. Sheep, so they lack the opposable thumbs, so they can't use firearms. You can't have a sheep out there with an M16. Their agility isn't very good, so you can't teach them kung fu. They're pretty helpless creatures. They, and they rely on the shepherd for protection. And that's we Jesus saying, you're helpless yourself. You have to rely on on the shepherd, rely on Christ. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Verse 4, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. 
So how should we approach the harvest field as Christians now? What does this teach us about how we should approach the harvest field? Well, first off, we should approach it confidently because Jesus said he's sending us. He's behind this. He's behind each and every one of us. We can approach it confidently. Number two, we can approach it mildly. We don't have to be overbearing about it because we're supposed to approach it like lambs. But we're also supposed to approach it realistically. Yes, we're lambs, but we're going among wolves. There's a very real danger there, and we have to be careful. We're supposed to approach it unencumbered. Notice he tells them, don't bring a bunch of stuff with you. We're not, you see, we, we, we tend to encumber ourselves with all kinds of trappings in life. I've known, I, 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 I knew one guy who loved buying study Bibles and Christian books, and, and he bought all this stuff. But his spiritual life wasn't doing so well. He was continually struggling because there were sins in his life that he never dealt with. But he was so distracted, he did go to the Christian store and buy some new book, never actually read it. He read a few, but the vast majority of all he bought, he never read. And, 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 and he just encumbered himself with all this junk. He would have done much better not buy any of it and have one Bible and read it and fall and let, let God speak to his heart and, and make decisions and make changes to his life based on, on what God was telling him. We encumber ourselves. We encumber ourselves with responsibilities and concerns that we have no business being concerned about. And I, I've fallen into that trap. I've been concerned, worried, worried, and we, we've had a lot of people in our church that have come and gone. People who now are back in prison or are off in their life. And man, it used to tear me up. But I realized that wasn't my responsibility. I was, I, was, I was outside my lane, to use a military term. I was, I was doing something that I, I didn't have any business being concerned about. My responsibility is to be a pastor and a friend and a blessing to whoever who comes through those doors for as long as they come through those doors. And then I, my responsibility is to go out and talk to people in the community and try to be a blessing to them. I've been doing that past few weeks, just going knocking on doors, and I've gotten to pray with some people. I came across one family who, uh, who's uh, uh, ladies. Uh, well, one one lady's uh, fiance had passed away. I assume of natural causes uh, a week or so before, and then a few days prior, uh, the husband of another young of a young woman 
I was shot. And he was over in Lubbock recovering. And, and so they were very happy to see me. They just needed somebody to talk to and pray with them and be a comfort to them. That's all they needed. And I could do that. That was my responsibility. So I try to not be encumbered by things that I shouldn't be. We encumber ourselves with things that distract us from God. A hobby can be, you know, an innocent hobby can become a sinful practice that keeps us from our responsibilities to God. Things like video games, hunting, fishing. If you're what? Your so side gift? So said gift. Then I think you, um, I think you may have answered your own question because I'm talking about uh, things that encumber us, that keep us from doing God's will. A gift that you're using for, like Missy, is very talented in making things, right? So she has, every few weeks or so, she'll have a day where ladies come to the house to make crafts, and she has a skill set to do that. And she's able to be a blessing. There's some women to come to her event that I don't know if they've ever been in church. They don't know God. And they're hurting. And, and they need a friend. And they need someone who cares. And Missy's good at that too. She's good at being a caring person and listening. So she's used her gifts for God's glory. Good question. Good question. Where are we? Verse, don't carry a money bag. Okay. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. We're supposed to bring peace. We're supposed to bring peace to a house. Did you know that? People we visit, people we interact with, we should bring peace to them. And if a, it says a son of peace or a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. A person of peace is a um, one who is open to the message of the kingdom. I had I went and knocked one door this week. I walked up to it and there was a big cross on the front of the door, and I was like, "Well, they're probably a Christian, but you can never be certain." And so I knocked on the door, and this guy in his mid to late twenties uh, answered it. 
And I said, hi, I'm Daryl Underwood, pastor. And as soon as I said the word pastor, he said, not interested. Slam. He was not a person of peace. So we don't bother people like that. When we're we're going out and sharing what God has done for us, we look for the people of peace. Those people who see something in you, you've gotten to know them, and they see something in you, say, something's different about you. What is it? They want to know. It makes them hungry. People of peace. I had people who... um, Well, I had one man, um, he, he was already a Christian, an older gentleman. But he was, he was very happy to see me. He already had a church to go to. I was invited to church, but, but he, he was very happy to see me and he wished me well. That was a person of peace. And, and I had people who, who um, like I said, that family, they, they, were, they were happy to see me. They were in need. They were, they were receptive. So those people that we look for, people not at peace, we just move on. We don't argue. We don't debate. I had one guy. I introduced myself to him. And... Uh, he looked at me for a second, and he said, we had the storm door open. He said, looked at me for a second, and he said, coronavirus, and started to walk away. And I laughed. I thought it was funny. And he, he saw a little smirk on his face. He didn't, he didn't, he, he, uh, uh, didn't want me around. Not a person of peace. Verse 7. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his hire. You see, when you're doing work for God, that's what you're doing. When you go around, you tell people about Jesus, you try to be a blessing to someone. When someone offers something to you, you accept it. You accept it. I stopped off at Marcos and Karina. We needed to pray for them. They were happy to see me. And uh, Karina's dad was leaving, and, and she was asking him, aren't you going to stay for dinner? And he's like, no. And and that kind of upset her. Not mad, mad, but, you know, she like, oh, you know. and uh, And so... He left, and then I'm, I'm getting ready to leave because I just stopped by to say hi and see how they're doing. Um, and like Karina said, "Are you you coming? Come on, let's go inside." I said, "Well, I'm just leaving." And then she looked at me and said, "You're not coming inside?" Like, yes, I am. <laughs> Did not want to incur her wrath. And then she gave me food, and I accepted it. So we, verse 8, I, when you enter any town, they welcome you, eat the things set before you. 
that was mainly for uh, because they're Jewish, right? They're not used to uh, being very careful about what they eat, right? Be kosher. He's saying, don't worry about it. Just whatever they give you, just eat it. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there and, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. You know, not very, much, not very many of us have the gift of healing, but all of us can bandage a wound. Did you know that? What do we mean by that? Some people, yes, need uh, a physical touch so you can do whatever you can to be a blessing for them. Maybe you're somebody and they have a horrible cough. Let me go get you some cough syrup. Get them some, they have the medicine they need. Maybe they just need some pain reliever. Maybe they need some Tylenol. Provide them a small comfort. Maybe they're having trouble keeping stuff down. Can I go get you some salting crackers and maybe some Sprite? That's what my mom used when I was a kid. An upset stomach. Yeah. So you... You, we can, we we can help. We can provide comfort to people. Maybe they're emotionally need an emotional healing. Maybe they're really down. Maybe they're going through some life-altering circumstance, and they just need a friend to listen to them. You know, all the clients that I have in the military that are going through life-altering circumstances. Some of them are seeing the end of their military career. Some of them have terminal cases. And they don't know if they'll be alive for another five or so years. One of the first things I always ask them is, I ask them questions regarding the kind of support they have. How supportive is your family? Do you have a good circle of friends? Do you How supportive is your chain of command? I'm looking for people that they can rely on, they can talk to, about the current stressors, and a lot of people don't have any of that. And so I get people who come to my office and, and they just explode. Some people get angry and they start shouting in my office. Are they mad at me? Not in the least. They just needed to get that off their chest. And I keep Kleenex in my office because there's lots of tears usually. They need that. You need somebody. And sometimes God puts you in front of somebody to be that person. To be that listening ear. Maybe they need a spiritual healing. And you can talk to them about Jesus and how he forgives. And he can help. And he can save. And, and you can lead a person to Christ. I hope each and every one of you, if you're a Christ follower, I hope you get the honor uh, uh, soon of leading someone to Christ because it's the most amazing experience. He 
heal the sick who are there. And also, not just heal the sick, but also tell them, give them a message, the kingdom of God has come near you. At this point, Jesus hasn't died for our sins yet. The message was, the kingdom of God is here. Repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. It's time to turn away from sin because the Redeemer is here. It's time to stop acting like a slave because the one who's paid the price for you has come here. He's here. That's the message you were given. And the message we give is Jesus is here. Our Redeemer is here. I, Jesus Christ, changed my life. back in time I really wish I could to show you what my life was like before Christ so you could see in person I wish I could show you inside my heart so you could see the pain I felt the guilt the anger the sadness in my heart I wish you could see in my heart now how God took all that out You said when you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go into the streets and say, we're wiping off, uh, verse 11, we're wiping off as a witness against you, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet. Notice we're certain that the kingdom of God has come near. You see, they, they, they dealt with rejection, and we deal with rejection now. But see, we don't argue. We don't debate. We share a message. And if somebody accepts it, wonderful. If they reject it, we go on. We just tell our message. And Jesus said that I tell you on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town because that town has rejected and has seen said more tolerable for Sodom who hasn't who didn't see Jesus who didn't see the miracles but they did verse 13 woe to you Chorazin Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. They, they, they saw the signs and they ignored the signs. I have a letter in my possession. I, I, I was hoping to read it to you, um, but I couldn't find it in my stuff. It's a letter uh, written by my great-uncle um, to his parents, my great-grandparents. Uh, he was actually on an island with the Navy in, in the South Pacific, 
and wrote to them, and, and, and he was talking about what was uh, some things going on. Just a usual day, nothing uh, special going on, except the uh, ambassador of Japan was on a clipper, clipper ship, and had just stopped off there on his way to the U.S. You see, this was about a week before Pearl Harbor. And so here my great uncle was talking about this unusual, uh, hey, the Japanese ambassador stopped by here on the way to the U.S. And, and I didn't know this. Cody told me that the ambassador was actually on his way to present an official declaration of war. Um, word has it, I don't know if that's ever been confirmed or not, but the story goes that U.S. intelligence did make notes of there was a possibility of a Japanese attack. And U.S. leadership was like, what are they going to do? Just dismissed it. And the morning of the attack, two young men were at a radar station. And they saw the blips as 353 Japanese aircraft heading straight for Pearl Harbor. And so they notified the officer in charge, a young lieutenant. The lieutenant came out and looked at it and just said, oh, that's probably just a flock of geese, flock of birds. Dismissed it. They ignored it. And were taken by surprise. And thank God the damage wasn't as bad as it could have been. These cities were, were warned. They were warned. And they ignored the warnings. And, and, and when Judgment Day comes, they'll be unprepared. And God has warned you. You have no excuse. Verse 14, but it'll be more tolerable. For Tyre and Sidon, the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. You see, the gospel is either listened to or it's rejected. Why do people reject? What are some of the reasons for rejection? Well, number one, unbelief. I don't believe the Bible. It's not true. I have a, a, a dear friend that believes that. He has a lot of respect for me, but he doesn't believe the Bible. Just rejects it out of hand. Number two, a perverse lifestyle can actually be a reason for rejecting the gospel. And we see... Uh, Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 24. 
verse uh, 12. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. They will turn away from God. Number three, uh, pride is a, a common reason for rejection of the gospel. I know what's best for me. Nobody is going to tell me how to live my life. I'm too smart for that. I, 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 I. Number four, uh, prejudice against Christ. This preconceived idea that Jesus is, well, he was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. You know you can't say that? Because Jesus said he was God. He also accepted worship from people as if he was God. So either Jesus was a liar or a lunatic or Lord, but you can't say he was just a good teacher and he wasn't God. Well, we can talk about it uh, on the sideline later. I can show you whatever question you have. We can we can discuss that. So rejected because I uh, prejudice against Christ. Uh, number five, re rejected the gospel because they're preoccupied with their self or other matters. I'm too busy right now. I know one man who who keeps himself busy so he doesn't have to think about God. And at first I thought he was just a busy man, but as I got to know him, I realized he's purposely keeping himself busy so he doesn't have to think about his heart, the condition of his heart, or eternal things. I... People reject God or reject the gospel because the power of God is forgotten. People don't see it. They're blind. The seven, they reject the gospel because of ungratefulness. Seeing God answer prayer for people and show that He's real, show that He answers prayer, show that He cares. But they don't care. They got their job, they got what they wanted, and now they're gone. I've, I've had people who were in church as long as things weren't going well for them, but as soon as things went better, they disappeared. People reject the gospel because they want to remain independent. 
I don't want to be held accountable to anyone. I Basically, I want to be the God of my own life. And finally, people reject the gospel because of procrastination. I see that a lot. I'm not ready now. I'll make the choice later. Tomorrow. Next week. I just can't right now. I have people tell me, oh, I, I, you know, oh, I, I need to, I need to get right with God, but I got to change some things in my life first. And I always respond, do you clean up before you take a bath? God wants you to come as you are. Filth and habits and sin and all where you're at, God wants you to come to Him just like that and let Him deal with you at that point. Let Him decide what you need to do. The people go, no, I'll wait. Further down the road. The devil fools so many people that way. They always think they have time. We never know this today will be our last day. We never know. So we want to be ready. Because you to be taking your it's like it's like the, the story. Um, well, I was in Afghanistan many years ago. With uh, I was embedded with the Rangers, and we were at, at a uh, memorial service for three soldiers who had just passed away. And the chaplain was talked about one of those men, this young man who who sat at a Bible study. And told the guys, I've decided I'm going to live for the Lord from here on out. I'm going to follow him. Whatever he wants me to do, I'm going to do. Having no idea that he would be taking his last breath nine hours from that point. Nine hours. We don't know. We need to think about that. We're all going to die. And when we die, what do you want on your gravestone? What do you want to embody your life? And whatever that is, does that match up with how you're living your life now? As for me, two rows diverged in a yellow wood. And I... I took the one less travel by. And Jesus has made all the difference. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us. If you liked this podcast, then hit the subscribe button. Also, take some time to rate us. Feel free to check out our website at servantsheartchapel.org, and you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Thanks again and have a blessed week.